Good morning to each of you. It is an honor to be here and worship with you here at Shambly First United Methodist Church. And thank you, Eric and Stacy, for the generous invitation to come and share with the congregation this morning. Again, I'm delighted to be here. It's good to be in worship. My family has been worshiping at our church virtually. And so uh, there's very few occasions that I get to come out now and be in worship with you in person. And I'm I'm warmed to being outside this morning in the first service. <laughs> so grateful to be here and excited about what I have to share with you today. This morning's scripture will come from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Please listen as I read. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Amen. It was August 2005. A giant hurricane swept through the Gulf Coast of Louisiana and engulfed the city of New Orleans and the surrounding areas. More than 1,800 people died. Thousands of people were displaced and left homeless. These were largely poor people who had been disenfranchised, under-resourced, and who were left with few options to get out of a situation that made international news. You may remember the footage of people piled up in the football stadium in New Orleans, seeking shelter, food, and hope. Those who could find family to live with outside of the region did so. Others tried to move and start over in other cities. One of those cities was Atlanta. It is estimated that 100,000 people relocated to Atlanta immediately after Hurricane Katrina. One man returned to New Orleans after the hurricane in the West Bank suburb 
just two or three weeks after the storm, but with no power or city services, the living conditions were unbearable. He says New Orleans was a ghost town. Houses were moved off their foundation. Boats were sitting on land and dead bodies were still in the streets. So they came back to Atlanta to stay. Some came with some money, most didn't. These folks came, geez. One person shared that he left New Orleans with the clothes on his back, two pairs of underwear, and a Miles Davis CD. At least he had some good music to listen to. With conditions like that, there was a desperate need for some folks who believed in grace, mercy, justice, righteousness, and love to do something. There was a need for some folks who, had, uh, who held all things in common to distribute and disperse resources. But where would it come from? In the scripture for the day, found in Acts, we encounter the early church after the Holy Spirit is realized within them. They are lost in the euphoria of the Spirit, and those observing assumed they had encountered some people who were drunk in the middle of the day and acting wildly. In truth, they weren't drunk. They were filled with the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit was not just a feeling. It was not a day or a moment. It is a state of being. It is the spirit in us that calls to us to do things we often feel ill-equipped to do. The spirit calls to us while in the midst of darkness and tells us that we possess a light inside that will never burn out. It's the spirit that compels us to link with others whom the spirit has called and to be of one mind and one spirit. In the passage read today, those who experienced the Spirit coming into them began to sit under the teaching of the disciples of Jesus, and then they did the darndest thing. They allowed the words to enter through their ears, into their brains, down into their heart, and then quickened their hands and their feet. They began to be disciples. You know, I'm one who believes we should focus less on making disciples and focus more on being disciples. My problem is not with the word disciples, it's with what we mean by make. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that leading people to respond to the call of God on their lives is not something that is important. What I am saying is that it feels like when we say make, we mean force. But the Matthew 28 text that this comes from actually better translates be disciples to all nations. Being a disciple does not require us to make anyone do anything. It's not about what they do or do not do. Being a disciple is about what we do. I can be a disciple to someone who is of any race, any gender, any nationality, any political persuasion, or any other difference. Me being a disciple to them is about what I am doing. Even if they never convert, even if they never 
repent, even if they never come into the church and take the vows of membership. Our call is not to make them do something. Our call is to be something to them, to be something good to them and to one another. This is what I think it means to hold things in common. To hold things in common means a sort of sameness. It means we are linked to the same thing, the same substance, the same source or the same essence. The Holy Spirit is what links one believer to another. Have you ever wondered why people stop to look at accidents on the side of the road? Even minor accidents that are out of the way of traffic, they still cause a traffic jam. This can be quite irritating when you're sitting waiting and waiting and waiting behind lines of cars moving slowly until you've reached the front and then do the very same thing that causes the log jam. We stop and we stare. Do you know why? It's not because we want to see something gruesome. I think, in fact, the reason is because we are hoping that the persons involved in the accident are okay. Why? Because we are linked to one another. Deep down inside, we are wired to be concerned about one another and to desire to be with other people. This is why it's unhealthy and traumatic for people to be isolated from other humans for extended periods of time. This is why we have experienced a sort of skin hunger. That it brings. That skin hunger is something that I have felt and still feel. I felt it when I could not attend funerals for family or friends who died from COVID and for other reasons. I felt it when I go to the grocery store and I see someone that I know and I want to go and embrace them and shake their hand, but it was not yet a time where we could safely do that. Skin hunger is our spirit yearning. We hold a connection to the same essence. So when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us has a need, we all mobilize to respond to that need. Our love is held in common. I want to tell you about a church I hold near and dear to my heart. They aren't United Methodists. In fact, they are Baptists. This church is pastored by a pastor who has strong positions on tithing and community engagement. This church does not do fundraisers, special offerings. They do not use any mechanism to generate funds other than the biblical practice of tithing. The biblical practice of tithing is simple. It is that people commit to giving 10% of what they earn to their church. He committed to the church to never ask for more than that. He also promised that as a church, they would be responsive to the needs of the community and that they would see results from their promise to support their church. The church had begun a new building campaign in the early 2000s. 
But remember, this pastor was adamantly opposed to asking for more than the tithe from his membership. So this building program was not going to be a building campaign asking people to give large lump sums of money to the church. There was no special building fund to give to. Instead, they would raise the capital funds from their tithes until they had enough to secure a loan from the bank and to pay the mortgage from what they regularly regularly collected. It was in the middle of this building program that Hurricane Katrina hits New Orleans and 100,000 people flock to Atlanta looking for help. The pastor of the church wanted the new building. The church needed it because they had outgrown their facilities and needed space that would support the new ministries they were doing, but he wanted to help these refugees more. These refugees needed housing more than the church needed a new building. So the church moved as many people as they could physically and financially support into their church and then bought houses around Atlanta to put people in. They made sure they had food, clothes, support for their children, and helped them find jobs and also provided training to those who needed it. Do you know what else they did? They still built the church. Do you know how they built that church? Because the people at Zion Hill Baptist Church in South Fulton held all things in common. Common grace, common mercy, common justice, common righteousness, common love, common hope, common mission, common success, and common reward. When those who had not been tithing saw what their church was doing, they began to tithe. Not 10% at first, but whenever they could, whatever they could, it wasn't about those who were already giving choosing to give more. It was about those who were not giving anything, choosing to give some. Then people who lived in the community heard about what they were doing. They didn't hear about it on the news. They didn't hear about it from the pastor getting a megaphone to self-promote. They heard it from their members and from people who were helped from the ministry they were doing. Then more and more people joined the mission. Listen, they didn't join the church. They joined the mission. You know what else? The whole time they were housing Hurricane Katrina victims and building the new church, they didn't have a single giver who gave more than $25,000. It was the tithes of common people, people who worked as secretaries, teachers, and postal workers, mechanics, custodians, child care providers. They were some other folks too, but there were no giant gift givers from wealthy people. In fact, the first gift they received more than $25,000 was from a 17-year-old kid after the building was already built. This kid signed a baseball contract and grew up in this church and saw all that his church had been doing from the time he was a kid up until 17. 
And when he signed that contract, the first thing he did was to go back to his church and handed them a check for $75,000 because he wanted to be among the commoners. Are you among that group here at Shambly? Are you among that group here at Shambly that helped prepare flood buckets and resources and supplies for those same hurricane victims that came here to Atlanta. I've been hearing this morning about some of that work that was done in that time. And the community is grateful. Maybe you came here after that. Are you among those folks who hold that same thing dear and in common? This is not a guilt trip. This is a heart check. It's an opportunity to put your money where your mouth is. We say we are disciples of Jesus. We say that we love God and God's people. We say that we are committed to the mission. But are we committed enough to invest in it? Or are we just here to benefit from someone else's commitment? How did this building get here? It wasn't from the lip service of those who only supported the church with their words. It was due to the investment of those who held some things in common. It reminds me of a story from the late, great Reverend Dr. Bill Self. He recalled as a kid riding around with his uncle. His uncle wanted to take him around town in his shiny new car. His uncle's, uh, uncle always had nice cars and had the finest things in life, and he loved to show them off a bit. So on this day when he was riding in his uncle's car, they were going to stop downtown for some ice cream. They had gotten near the ice cream shop, and as they were looking to park, he noticed that his uncle skipped over several parking spaces, and they ended up parking farther away from the ice cream shop. As they were getting out of the car, the boy asked his uncle why. Why did you skip all these other spots to park all the way over there? Then the uncle told him, nephew, I was looking for a parking meter that had not expired yet so I could park for free. Then he said, why waste a perfectly good nickel? Just like this uncle, many of us want to park on someone else's nickel. We want the benefits of certain things, but we don't want to invest in those things. We want a smooth parking lot at the church with nice, bold lines with enough space to open our car doors, not to hit the car next to us. We want it nicely landscaped. We want the building clean. We want nice floors and walls. We want an awesome choir and musicians. We want the preacher to preach halfway decent sermons. We want to be visited when we are sick. We want people in the community to have food and shelter and the supplies and resources we need. But we want to do it on somebody else's nickel, somebody else's sweat, somebody else's tears, somebody else's blood. Now, let me be clear. If you are in a financial position that prohibits you from being able to afford the basics of life, do not feel any pressure to get further in the hole. 
But when you have disciplined your life such that you can, don't miss the opportunity to become one of the commoners. Don't miss an opportunity to be invested in the king, in the commonwealth of heaven. Investing in the commonwealth of heaven is the safest place to put your money. It's stronger than any other investment because it's one that is commonly held by people called by God to be disciples in a world that needs the hands and feet of God to be deployed. When you invest in God's commonwealth, you are moving by the call of the Spirit and God's promises will be realized. That promise is as the scriptures tell us. It is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Church, God is calling you to do something great. God is calling you to do something so great that no single person can do it alone. It will take some folks committed to being disciples who are committed to not parking on someone else's nickel, and who are committed to the commonwealth of God's people. And I pray that you are in that number. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.